I have found out beat news in depth for you. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Morelia. Well, the 2017 Pride celebration season is upon us, and it starts next week right here in the North Bay with the 30th annual Sonoma County Pride celebration. The Sonoma County Pride organization has been working really hard to plan all kinds of events and to mark this special year to ensure there is something for everyone. Brian Rogers is here tonight to share the latest information and details about the events that start on June 2nd and run through June 4th. In the second half of our hour, film producer and documentarian Josh Howard returns to announce the release of his latest project, The Lavender Scare. You may recall Josh was on our show about four years ago when the project was just getting off the ground. Well, it's done, and it's making a premiere right here in the Bay Area at the Frameline Film Festival, happening next month in San Francisco. You won't want to miss it. And be sure to stay with us tonight, because we have two tickets to this premiere to give away later in the show. It's all coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, May 28th, 2017. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. This is Greg Moralia with your Outbeat Radio News for the week of May 28th, 2017. Taiwan's top judges have ruled in favor of same-sex marriage, paving the way for it to become the first country in Asia to legalize gay unions. Taiwan's high court ruled last week that current laws preventing members of the same sex from marrying violate their right to equality and were unconstitutional. It gave parliament two years to amend existing laws or pass new ones. In a press release following the ruling, the court said, quote, disallowing two persons of the same sex to marry for the sake of safeguarding basic ethical orders constituted a different treatment with no rational basis, end quote. The court concluded that such different treatment is incompatible with the spirit and meaning of the right to equality as protected by Taiwan's constitution. As Taiwan's court was considering marriage, two men in Indonesia were publicly caned dozens of times this last week for consensual gay sex as punishment intensifies in an anti-gay backlash. Hundreds of people packed the courtyard of a mosque to witness the caning, which was the first of its kind in Assei, the only province in Indonesia to practice Sharia law. The two men, aged 20 and 23, were arrested in Manoa after neighborhood vigilantes in the province suspected them of being gay and broke into the rented room to catch them having sex. A Sharia court last week sentenced each man to 85 strokes, but they were caned 83 times after a remission for time spent in prison. Four heterosexual couples were also caned, receiving a far lesser number of strokes for affection outside marriage. Members of the crowd cheered and shouted as the men were whipped across the back and winced with pain. Indonesian police also last week detained dozens of men, including several foreigners, in a raid on a gay sauna in the capital city. Police spokesman Argo Yuwono said 141 men were detained for questioning in the raid last Sunday evening at a gym and sauna in North Jakarta. Police say the sauna was the venue for a sex party promoted as, quote, the wild one, end quote. Ten people will be charged under the nation's pornography law, police said, including the sauna's owner, several staff, a gym teacher, a receptionist, security guard, and two visitors of the club who allegedly performed oral sex. If found guilty, they face penalties of up to 10 years in prison and fines. And here in the U.S., 
New York City Pride announced that WABC-TV will be its official television partner this year and will broadcast the 48th annual New York City LGBT Pride March, making the station the first major network to broadcast a gay pride parade on television. President and general manager of WABC, Channel 7, said, quote, Channel 7 prides itself on being able to bring important local celebrations of community spirit to as many people as possible, and we look forward to making this year's march the best ever, end quote. You can watch the New York Pride Parade online from noon to 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Sunday, June 25th at abc7ny.com. And speaking of Pride, the 30th Annual Sonoma County Pride Celebration takes place this coming weekend, starting June 2nd, with the Billy Gilman and Steve Grand concert at the Grayton Resort and Casino. And then on Saturday, June 3rd, join your Outbeat Radio team at the Rise Up Unity Rally, starting at 1 p.m. at the Guerneville Lodge. There'll be more than a dozen speakers, music, and more. Then stick around Saturday night for the Outfest LGBTQ Film Shorts that happens at the Rio Theater. And then on Sunday, June 4th, the annual Sonoma County Pride Parade starts at 11 a.m. The festival then opens at 12 noon and continues until 6 p.m. at the Guerneville Lodge. You can get details for Pride celebrations happening here in the North Bay and San Francisco on our website at OutBeatNews.com. For a calendar of LGBT news and events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. And for all the latest LGBT news headlines we're following, go to our website at OutBeatNews.com. For KRCB's Outbeat Radio News, I'm Greg Moralia. Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Well, the 30th annual Sonoma County Pride Celebration begins this coming Friday, June 2nd, with events happening all the way through June 4th. And here to give us all the details about this year's celebration is Brian Rogers from the Sonoma County Pride Organization. Brian, welcome. Thanks. Hey, hey, Greg. How are you? It is terrific to have you here. Very, very exciting this year, the 30th anniversary of Sonoma County Pride. But before we get talking about the details, tell us about the Sonoma County Pride Organization. It's still relatively new in its current iteration, right? In its current iteration, uh, we're an all-volunteer nonprofit organization, and we're dedicated to celebrating and enhancing the lives and the well-being of the LGBTQI community uh, and our allies throughout Sonoma County. And actually, we have been around for 30 years in various uh, iterations. Uh, but the current planning committee, this is going to be our third year. And we're really composed of a small group of people who meet monthly throughout the year and kind of brainstorm ideas for uh, how to have you know a, a fun way of keeping pride alive in the North Bay area. And this is the third year that we produce the weekend event. Good. Well, we're glad that you're continuing to do it and didn't give up after the first year. So let's talk about this really exciting weekend coming up. It starts on Friday, June 2nd, with the concert we've been talking about here for the last month with Billy Gilman and Steve Grant. It's being sponsored by the Grayton Resort and Casino. Tell us about it. What's what's right. planned? Well, so one of the things we've been trying to do uh, in our third year now is grow the event and make it a little more exciting for people. And we're really excited that Great Resort and Casinos, uh, and they've been a strong supporter of us since we started in 2013. Uh, Tribal Chairman Greg Saris has often expressed an interest of hosting part of the weekend activities at the casino. And now that the new hotel is opened, we have a perfect venue there for a concert. Uh, So uh, we're thrilled that Grayton booked Billy Gilman for us. Uh, He was last year's first runner-up on The Voice, in case your listeners aren't familiar. And internet singing sensation Steve Grant. Uh, If your your listeners have not 
uh, aren't familiar with these two, they can uh, find them on YouTube. And I will say, they're, not only are they great singers, they're pretty easy on the eyes as well. Both adorable. And we did an interview with them, if you recall, uh, in March, and that is available to listen on demand at OutbeatNews.com. It's going to be a great concert. I can't wait. Right, to and tickets are still available uh, through Ticketmaster, and it can be accessed through the Great and Resort Casino uh, website on the live entertainment page. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, let's get right to it then. Uh, prides around the country are kind of a mix this year of celebrations and protest. And one of the new events this year that was added to the calendar is the Rise Up Unity Rally. It's going to be taking place on Saturday, June 3rd. I'm excited to be the MC for that. But give us the details. What, what do you hope to accomplish? Well, these are our scary times for a lot of us. I know on November 8th, 2016, the election results left many of us disturbed and dismayed and very worried about the future of our democracy and human rights. Uh, a lot of us got up that next day determined to do something uh, to show that we weren't going to just take the dismantling of our civil rights without a fight. Uh, I personally felt urgent need to act out in some way. So that morning I got up and I'd heard there was a women's march in Santa Rosa. So I packed myself up and went down there. And what I saw astounded and moved me. There were thousands of people there. And they were from all walks of life. And they had spontaneously converged on the square. And they were overflowing in the streets. They hadn't even planned to close the streets. Everyone there felt the same need to act out that I did. And knowing that there were such numbers and representing so many different interests really put steel in my spine, and it motivated me. Uh, I went back to the board and, and said, you know, we need to do something. In fact, that, that event reminded me of the Vietnam anti-war rallies I attended in the 70s. There was a certain kind of energy there that I haven't seen in many, many years. Uh, so for this year, Sonoma County Pride will for the first time host an LGBTQI solidarity rally on June 3rd at the Guernville Lodge from 1 to 4 p.m. Uh, the name of the event, as you said, is Rise Up, because this is exactly what we need to do. It's a call to action for the community to stand up for LGBTQI rights, women's rights, immigration rights, voting rights, racial e equality, and economic equality. Uh, Rise Up joins the many Pride Month events, such as the LGBT March on Washington, which takes place this year in Washington, D.C., and replaces their Pride. And this year, L.A. Pride is holding the L.A. Pride Resist March. And those are both on June 11th, the following weekend. Our rally is really a feeder event for that. A lot of the people coming to our rally will be heading to one of those cities to participate in those national marches. Uh, and Pride events all over the country are taking on a more serious tone during this time of uncertainty and anxiety. Uh, I, I would like to mention some of the folks that are scheduled to oh, speak yeah, at definitely. our rally. It's, it's a great roster of local, really well-spoken. We're excited that we got such a good positive response. Uh, Sonoma County District Attorney Jill Ravitch will be there. Sonoma County Supervisor Linda Hopkins. Petaluma City Council Member Gabe Kearney and Positive Images Executive Director Javier Rivera-Rosales, and trans activist Mandy Camille Howard will be there, among some other speakers. Uh, like I said, the rally starts at 1 p.m. at the Guernville Lodge, and there's no charge for the rally. We will have some uh, limited food vendors. The bars will be open, of course, and uh, some retail vendors out there, as well as music uh, before and after the event. Great. And it again, it's free. Show up at 1 o'clock. 
come just bring your passion. Good, yeah, bring your passion. Come listen to some good music. I know that there are a couple of performers that we're going to have scheduled with some regular breaks in between the speakers. And this is really a great time to come and learn how to get involved. I mean, this is not the time to sit back and wait to see what happens. One of the things uh, that that happened to me, I, I moved here from Las Vegas in 2013 to open the casino, and I ran a dealer school uh, prior to that. And I was a little hesitant to move up here. I was established in Las Vegas. I was on the Pride board and did the gay rodeo and had a lot of friends and mm-hmm. was really active. And I thought when I came here, it looked pretty rural. And I thought, I'm not sure if I will fit in here, if I'll be happy here. And Greg Saris uh, had told me there's more LGBT people here per capita than anywhere in the country. And the first couple of years I kept thinking, where are they? I don't see them anywhere. And, uh, I, in the ensuing time, I've met a lot of people here through Santa Rosa Gator and everything, and, and I realize there are a lot of LGBT people here. But now's the time everybody needs to get out of their house and, and take a few minutes out of their life and stand up and be counted. There is power in numbers, and just by standing up and, and, and us being represented – uh, uh, amazing things can happen. So I encourage people, don't procrastinate. Get, get out of your house and come out that day and, and, and be seen. Perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. And then after the rally is done, you can go grab a quick bite to eat at some of the great restaurants in downtown Guerneville and then head over to the Outfest Film Shorts that starts at uh, 7 o'clock, right, at Monte Rio? That, that is correct. We're calling it Shorts uh, at the River. It promises to be an entertaining and thought-provoking program of short films, touching on many aspects of the LGBTQI experience. Uh, The festival takes place Saturday following the rally. As you said, have a nice dinner, maybe an adult beverage, and head on over. It's going to be at the Rio Theater and Cafe uh, in Monte Rio, right up the road from Guerneville. Again, produced by Outwatch, uh, selections explore issues like Alzheimer's. Uh, There's a collection of found footage from the 70s. Uh, which has been refashioned uh, into a radical fairy tale. Uh, A film shot at the Folsom Street Fair. Uh, Another one shows the struggles of a Muslim skateboarding girl trying to take her rightful place in a skate park ruled by boys. Another one is How to Kiss in Paris and Whittier Boulevard, a rock and roll fable about Andre, a transgender teen runaway who falls in love with the rockabilly princes on the streets of East L.A., so there's quite a gamut of, that is a of collect- material That is there. a collection of films. <laughs> yeah, and they're all short films, right? So yes. you're going to get to see them all in, over the course of one evening. Right, and th- that's why we do that kind of formatting, because it's a one-evening event. Yeah. Fantastic. And, of course, no Sonoma County Pride celebration will be complete without the annual parade and festival. That takes place on Sunday, June 4th. Let's start with the parade. Who are you expecting? Okay, well, our, our parade may not be the biggest, but it's definitely one of the most uh, 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 fabulous uh, the parade's held, as you said, on Sunday, June 4th, and it's in downtown Guerneville. Uh, the parade starts at 11 a.m., and it goes from 4th and Church down River Road to Gravenstein Highway. Uh, this year, our, uh, our Grand Marshals, or Greg Saris, Tribal Chair of the Indians of Grayton Rancheria, uh, who also own Grayton Resort, uh, Supervisor Linda Hopkins, and trans activist Aidan Dowling will be our Grand Marshals. The parade features marching bands, floats, and elaborate costumes of every description, and it's one of the great spectacles in the North Bay area. Sonoma County Pride invites you to come out and cheer for the parade attendees uh, or sign up on the website. You can join the parade. 
Uh, if you go to the forms link, uh, we have forms there for registering for both vendors and for the parade. Perfect. And that's at SonomaCountyPride.org. And if you don't have that website, we have it already linked on our website at OutbeatNews.com. Just looking about the center of the page. And I would say you could plan to see your Outbeat Radio team in a float in the parade this year. So we're pretty excited about that. <laughs> so then after the parade, uh, the festival takes place at the Guerneville Lodge. Talk about some of the entertainment and uh, vendors who are going to be there. Well, if you haven't seen the Guerneville Lodge, it's a beautiful historic log, it log really structure. Is. It's just nestled on the Russian River, and maybe that's why uh, the area is such a big draw from San Francisco. Our, our offerings this year will include a wide variety of food and beverage options, as well as retail vendors and nonprofits distributing information about their various causes. Entertainment this year includes Men's Health Cover Model and trans activist Aiden Dowling. We'll have our fabulous DJ Char down there. The singers this year will be Mouths of Babes. Uh, there will be performances by drag kings and drag queens and other entertainers. Uh, come down and enjoy exhibitors, eats and drinks, and towering redwoods and the beautiful Russian River. It's a perfect setting among uh, the redwoods to hold our events. Yeah, it really is. And I think that's one of the things that makes Sonoma County Pride so unique is that venue. I mean, right. it's, it's gorgeous. And this is really a family event, too. It is. So, and uh, and uh, friendly pets are welcome as well. Uh, the festival runs from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. We're asking for uh, uh, the public for a $10 donation to help us uh, defray our expenses. And uh, come on down and join the fun. Great. And we will definitely be there as well. Are you looking for people to still help out and volunteer? Actually, at this point, everything's pretty well covered. Uh, all we need uh, to have a successful event is for your listeners and their friends to support us by showing up to, at some of the events. Come out and have some fun. Great. Well, you and I have witnessed some history take place over the last 50 years of the LGBT civil rights movement. Uh, but a lot of young people have missed a good portion of that. Talk about why it's important for both young and old to come out to Pride this year. I think that's really important, Greg. Uh, LGBTQI people, you're in my age, remember when we had to hide and we were uh, actively persecuted. It affected our lives in ways that are still with us, that we carry forever. And the fight to equality was hard and it was long. Uh, many of us who endured the struggle for our rights in the 60s, 70s, and 80s sometimes feel like the young folks take their freedom to love and marry who they want for granted. I think that the recent political situation is causing many of them to realize that those rights can be taken away if we don't fight back. What really heartens me, and when I went to the women's rally, was seeing so many young people visibly engaged and inspired, and I want to encourage all the young people out there uh, to get involved. It makes a difference. It is your call to action. That's Excellent. it. Tell us once again where people can go to learn more about this year's celebration. Or well, if you go to SonomaCountyPride.org, uh, uh, all the information about uh, Pride Weekend is on there. We also have a Facebook page under Sonoma County Pride. And if you're interested in getting involved or, or attending our meetings, even as a spectator, everyone is always welcome. And we're always looking for more people to get involved. Uh, uh, follow us on our Facebook page. We send out uh, alerts to when our meetings are going to be. Fantastic. Brian Rogers, thank you so much for being here tonight. But most importantly, thanks for all the hard work, blood, sweat, and tears to put together a great celebration. I will see you on Friday at the Steve Grand Billy Gilman concert. Looking forward to it, Greg. And we hope to see you all. And we'll be back with more right after this. 
Hi, this is Rick Dean, Executive Director of Face to Face. What if I told you that you could have peace of mind in just 20 minutes, and it's free? Face to Face offers free, anonymous HIV testing with results in just 20 minutes. Knowing your HIV status can be life-saving for you and those you love. Visit Face to Face in Santa Rosa, call us at 544-1581, or visit us at f2f.org, ending AIDS in Sonoma County 20 minutes at a time.
And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News In-Depth on KRCB-FM, Windsor, Santa Rosa, Radio 91. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, one of the really special events that happens every year as part of Pride in the Bay Area is the Frameline Film Festival, now in its 41st year. And this year, our next guest is premiering his latest work, a documentary titled The Lavender Scare. Josh Howard is an accomplished television producer who discovered a hidden piece of LGBT history chronicled in David Johnson's book, The Lavender Scare. In his new documentary, Josh brings this book to life. We have your friend in the next room. She's already told us that you're gay. You give us the names of others and we'll go easier on you. Somebody will please come to order. Homosexuals must not be handling top secret material. The pervert is easy prey to the blackmailer. It started this lavender scare. It started this systematic campaign to identify and remove all suspected gay men and lesbians from the federal civil service. It was the most wonderful country in the world, and you should serve it. And then I found out they didn't want me. I was called to the FBI office. They wouldn't allow legal representation. I was a scared kid. They wouldn't reveal the evidence. They said, we have information, you are homosexual. Do you have any comment? And they would threaten exposure. I submitted my resignation. I lost my job at the patent office. That was the end of it, I would have. The people that I got rid of, they were faggots. I didn't give a hoot. Culturally, we were sick, sinners, sexual perverts. We were worse than communists. We knew that. He was afraid he was under investigation for his homosexuality. He was just not able to cope. And they said, well, he committed suicide. With us now is the film's creator and producer, Josh Howard. Josh, welcome back to the show. Well, thank you, Greg. Thanks very much for having me again. Well, we were talking before about how long it's been since we first talked about this project, and I'm thrilled that you're back and that it's out. Uh, But for our listeners who may have missed that first interview with you, uh, give us a little bit about your background and what brought you to create The Lavender Scare. Well, I was a TV news producer for uh, uh, for quite some time, longer than I care to remember. Uh, Worked mostly at 60 Minutes. Uh, Then after that, I was running a documentary unit at uh, CNBC, the NBC Universal Cable Channel, and uh, was pretty happily retired from that career when I came across a book called The Lavender Scare, uh, written by David Johnson, who's a professor of history at the University of South Florida in Tampa. And I was reading this book, and I was just stunned by what I was reading. It's, uh, it's a story about the systematic way in which the U.S. government went about firing uh, gay men and lesbians in the 1950s. And it's a story that I had never heard before. Uh, I talked to some friends, particularly a couple who are experts in gay history, and they were surprised by it. And I figured this was just a, it was a story that needed to be told. Uh, I, I tracked down David Johnson. We've talked about the possibility and uh, of doing a documentary. And here we are, uh, I hate to say, eight years later. It took a while to get it done, but uh, we're finally, uh, it's, it's finally ready, and uh, we're making the rounds at film festivals. That's terrific. And it is a great book. Uh, I think it's a really, really nice foundation to what I'm sure is going to be an amazing documentary, too. But I had a chance to read it, and it's, it's fascinating. There's so much there that's been left out of history books. Well, exactly. And David was really the first person to 
to document this history, and uh, it is really the definitive book on this particular chapter in in uh, gay history, and it uh, provides really the factual underpinning for the documentary, and um, it's a uh, it's 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 a remarkable it's a remarkable project. Well, that's great. Uh, but before we get talking about the film, you did this on your own. Talk about how you were able to get the funding together and get it started. Well, initially, it started uh, with a grant from uh, from Jim Hormel. Uh, this was the first project. It's the first independent uh, documentary that I've attempted. Uh, as I said, I had worked for major corporations uh, up to this point, and it was always up to them to provide the funding. And this was the first time I had to figure out how to do that myself. And the first person who uh, who really stepped up in terms of providing financing was uh, Jim Hormel, who, as you know, calls San Francisco home and has an amazing record of um, philanthropy, particularly as it relates to gay history. And uh, with his grant, we were up and running. Uh, eventually, we got a grant from the Ford Foundation, uh, contributions from some other uh, a number of other significant uh, uh, contributions from other people. Uh, we did do a successful Kickstarter campaign, but uh, it's one of the reasons it took so long to get this finished was a lot of time was spent fundraising. But uh, again, I can't thank Jim Hormel enough for really being the, the guy who got us off the ground initially. That's terrific. Well, beyond funding, what other challenges did you face as an independent filmmaker putting this together? Well, the the big challenge really was was finding people who were still alive who lived through this period who were still available to talk about it. Uh, David had done his research during the 1990s and by the time we started in uh, oh, you know, 2009, uh, you know, sadly a number of the people he interviewed had passed away. So one of the real challenges were, uh, was to you know, track down the people who had first-hand uh, knowledge and could tell us about their experiences. Uh, yeah, the other challenge is historical documentaries are just expensive to produce because uh, there's a lot of research that has to be done. And particularly since it's of a historical nature, we can't go out and shoot uh, material. We have to use archival mm -hmm. film and video, and uh, that gets expensive because it means getting the rights to newsreels and um you know, wire service photos and, and so forth. So uh, it was it, it was challenging every step of the way. It couldn't have been done if David Johnson hadn't written his book, however, because he, his years of research uh, really uh, were, uh, yeah, were were vital to the production. We could not have uh, duplicated what what he did. Mm, wonder what a wonderful record both of these pieces are going to be. And so for those people who don't know anything about what we call or what's being termed the Lavender Scare. Where did it start? Give us a sense of where in history it began and, and what evolved from it. Well, it really began uh, in the years after World War II. Uh, the United States was obviously uh, victorious in the war, but uh, soon after that, uh, there became uh, the, the country became fearful that the Soviet Union, which had been our ally during the war, was getting too powerful. And particularly, uh, there was a concern because the Soviets had developed an atom bomb. And so now there were two countries with atomic weapons. There was some speculation that uh, the Russians were able to develop the bomb so quickly because there were spies in the United States who were giving away our nuclear secrets. And that really led to the Red Scare and the McCarthy era, 
which was uh, a time in, in, in which um, it was really believed that uh, communists had infiltrated uh, our government, our uh, educational system, uh, uh, entertainment, uh, the entertainment industry, mm -hmm. and it was a uh, it was a painful it was a painful time. Uh, it, it really turned out at some point that uh, there were not that many communists in the government, and McCarthy's charges were losing uh, credibility. Uh, and at that point, he uh, and his allies shifted their focus to homosexuals. Because the fact was there were a lot of gay men and lesbians working in the government. And what, um, uh, what the theory was, was that uh, uh, gay people were in the closet. Uh, they were hiding their sexuality. Uh, and for good reason, because in, in the 1950s, homosexual sex was illegal in, in every state. And so the theory was that in order to stay in the closet, to hide their personal lives, uh, the gay people would be uh, possibly subject to blackmail by foreign agents. So it's not that they were communists themselves, but they could easily be compromised. And uh, that really kicked off a, uh, a, a period that we now refer to as the Lavender Scare, in which gay people were seen as not only immoral, but a real danger to, uh, to the American government. Hmm. And of course, none of that piece uh, I recall from any history book I ever read in high school or college. It just wasn't there. It's just not there. And, you know, it's partly because I, I think as we've experienced, gay history is somewhat marginalized. But there's another reason that uh, people really didn't know the story. And, and that is, it was, there was a conspiracy of silence. It was really in nobody's interest uh, during this time to talk about this. The gay people who were being fired uh, wanted to stay in the closet, and they uh, you know, generally just disappeared quietly, not even explaining to family or friends why they had left their government jobs. And uh, the government eventually stopped talking about it because they didn't want to keep revealing how many people they were firing, because then the question would become, well, why did you hire them in the first place? You must have had really lax you know, was uh, screening, uh, you know, operations if you hired them in the first place. Mm -hmm. So it was, uh, as I said, this conspiracy of silence. No one talked about it. And it wasn't until David Johnson came across some newly declassified documents that uh, really laid out how systematic and widespread this effort of the government was that anybody realized uh, uh, just how many people had been had been affected. Wow. Well, you had read the book, obviously, intimately, and really knew the history by the time you started the documentary. In your research, what surprised you the most that you discovered while you were making the film? Well, I guess other than the overall story, what surprised me during the production was, uh, and this was something that uh, I had been uh, warned about, so many people uh, who had been victimized in the uh, in the 1950s and, uh, and in the decades after that, didn't want to talk about it. They were still in the closet. And I think it's, and you know, these are now people who are in their, you know, 70s and, and some in their 80s. And I think it just demonstrates how scary it was to be gay during those, during those years, that these were people who still, um, you know, couldn't come to terms with uh, speaking publicly about it. The other thing that surprised me was how willing government officials from that period 
were to talk about it. Uh, we, we were able to track down a number of State Department officials and uh, security officials from other agencies, and they didn't hesitate at all They, uh, you know, to go on camera. And they were, uh, you know, they defended what they did. Uh, a couple said, you know, obviously we wouldn't do it today because society is different today, but we, we did the right thing back then by getting rid of all of these uh, gay men and lesbians. And uh, I think that surprised me that they were uh, still so firmly convinced that this was the right thing to do. Hmm. Some of those interviews must have been pretty difficult to sit through. Well, uh, you know, mixed feelings about that. Uh, my associate director, Jill Landis, who is a fantastic journalist and did incredible work on this uh, on this project as well, uh, conducted uh, some of the interviews. And, um, you know, there was at the, at the end of one interview uh, with a gentleman who was saying fairly homophobic things, uh, uh, you know, on, on the record, on tape, our uh, cameraman said to me, you, you must have really wanted to slug that guy. <laughs> and I said, well, frankly, as a filmmaker, I wanted to you know, give him a big kiss because, you know, he was being honest and he was giving us a side of the story that he believed in. And, uh, you know, as, as a filmmaker, that's that's what you need. So it uh, really had mixed feelings on uh, uh, when it came to some of those interviews. Hmm. Interesting. Well, the FBI and, and, as you mentioned, other government agencies across the federal government were on a hunt. Were, was their focus on more men or women or both? Well, the, the government was an equal opportunity uh, discriminator uh, at that time. But it did turn out that more men were targeted. And that was uh, largely because of the makeup of the federal workforce at that point. Uh, the State Department was... Uh, largely male, it was largely uh, white, and, you know, those are the, they were just more of, of, you know, that demographic group to fire, so that's, uh, you know, that's where the focus was, but uh, if, if the um, government came across a lesbian that, uh, and we tell a couple of stories of, uh, of women who were fired during this time period, they were out as well, so it was... Um, uh, the government really didn't care if you were uh, male or female. If they found you, you were out of work. Well, at least that was a little bit of a sign of equality, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thankful for little things, I suppose. Well, I think my own perceptions about this time period was that the FBI was really at the heart of doing all of these investigations, that Hoover was leading the march towards expunging the government of all the gays. And maybe that's fed by all the suspicions about Hoover being gay himself. But there were many agencies involved. What were some of the other federal agencies that you found? Well, it was pretty much every, every agency of the federal government. Uh, we interview uh, the director of security for NASA, uh, who, in, you know, in the early days of the space program, they had their, their own team of investigators. The Civil Service Commission uh, had their team of investigators. The Postal Service had postal inspectors. So it was really, uh, the FBI certainly was involved on a broad scale, but every individual agency um, uh, participated in this with their own investigators. And in fact, uh, when agencies would come up uh, to have their 
budget review every year and they were appearing before congressional committees, they would always be asked, you know, how many, how many security risks? How many homosexuals have you fired this year? And it almost became a little bit of a competition among federal agencies who could fire the most. Uh, so this was, real, this was widespread across the entire federal government. Wow. And I know that you didn't touch as much on the rumors and suspicions about Hoover, but were there any discoveries in, around the rumors about him being gay that either surfaced, or was there any discussion about that in your research? We didn't really find anything other than what's already been reported on that. Uh, so we don't really get into that issue uh, specifically in the film. But, uh, you know, in general, I think it, it no longer comes as a, as a surprise to us that the most vicious homophobes, uh, you know, turned out to be, in, in many cases, gay themselves. Uh, we know that Roy Cohn, um, Senator McCarthy's uh, right-hand man, was, uh, was gay, although, although he denied it. Uh, to the day to the day he died, uh, and there was some speculation that uh, John McCarthy himself might have been uh, might have been gay, but uh, these are not issues that we really uh, address in, in the film. Hmm. That'll probably always be a mystery. How many people ended up being purged from the government in total? How big was this problem? Well, that's such an interesting question, and uh, we really don't have an exact answer. We uh, John D'Amelio, another historian who we interview, um, who's done um, in incredible work on gay history, says it's tens and tens of thousands of people uh, were, were affected. But it's really impossible to know exactly because a lot of the people who were kicked out of the government were allowed to, at least for the record, uh, resign for other reasons. The government would would call people in and say, "We've discovered that you're a homosexual, and um, you know you have to leave the government." And they would say, "You know, if you resign quietly, will we won't you know uh, indicate in your personnel record why you left? Uh, if you fight us, then everyone's going to find out that you're gay, and uh, you know, in effect, uh, we'll see to it that the rest of your life is uh, you know is, is ruined." So. A lot of the personnel records indicate that people resign, but doesn't say exactly why they do. So for that reason, it's impossible to uh, get an exact number. But you know, even beyond that, uh, there's the question of how many people did not get hired in the first place because they were found to be gay during background checks, or how many people didn't bother to apply for jobs with the government because they were afraid of going through the process. Then there were all the people in private industry. Uh, the the government's uh, order to eliminate gay people also applied to any private businesses that uh, held government contracts. Then there were local governments all over the country that followed the lead of the federal government and said, "Well, if the federal government says gay people are bad, then we should get rid of them." You know, here in our own hometown. So beyond the actual numbers, there's uh, the damage that was done by this is really incalculable because it was the animus of the federal government uh, toward homosexuals that really set off this wave of homophobia uh, throughout the country. And it was something that cemented in people's minds this image of gay people as 
disloyal and untrustworthy and uh, immoral that um, would last for decades. Yeah, I, I'm a little overwhelmed by that whole thought. I mean, it, I can't even imagine what it would feel like to be working for the government. I mean, it's one thing to apply for a job or think about applying for a job where you think, well, I'm, I'm not going to get hired or I don't want to take that risk or put myself in that position. But your whole livelihood, uh, and I imagine a lot of these men were living with opposite sex partners, raising families and hidden. And so the risk was tremendous, not just to themselves, but to their entire family, right? Well, absolutely. I mean, being found out could, uh, yeah, it's not an overstatement to say it, it could ruin your life. Because as you say, uh, a lot of them were closeted and leading double lives. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why, you know, nobody fought back. Uh, one person who we interviewed who um, uh, stayed with the, with the government, but, yeah, she was a lesbian and she was concerned about it every day. And she said, every day I showed up for work and I went through the security checkpoint, I thought, is this the day someone is going to say, Miss Cassidy, please come with us. You know, we have information about you. And she said she lived with that for 20 years. Uh, so it was a real, uh, you know, atmosphere of, uh, of terror that gay people were living in the 1950s. And of course, if folks are familiar at all with that time period, they probably remember reading about Frank Kameny, uh, who was sort of the first visible figure to stand up and try and fight this. But if you just looked at his story, it would sound like kind of an anomaly, one person. Well, you know, that's what's so interesting. We've um, Frank was the first person who, who fought back. Uh, probably, we guess, five, based on the, um, the amount of years that had gone by, probably 5,000 people had been fired and went quietly. And Frank was the first person to say, you know, wait a second, this isn't right. And uh, he fought back uh, administratively, uh, through the courts, legislatively, um, and was never successful in getting his job back. But um, even Frank, who then, as you say, went on to uh, uh, become such a prominent figure in, uh, in our history, even Frank didn't know until uh, David's book came out how widespread this was because people just didn't talk about it and they didn't talk to each other. It's, I've, I've had, we've begun doing uh, film festival screenings and I'm amazed at how many people, there hasn't been a screening in which someone hasn't come up to me at the end and said, I was fired for being gay in the 1950s or 60s and I thought I was the only one. I had no idea how systematic this was. So it's a real indication of how you know secretly this was this was carried out uh, during those years. Well, obviously a lot's changed, uh, though. After this last election, I'm not sure it feels like it. <laughs> um, but ha but a lot has changed. But it's still, in two thirds of this country, you know, there is no employment protection. Do you see this ever being something that history could repeat? Well. You know, I, I hate to, uh, I'm, I'm accused of being uh, too pessimistic, but uh, I think there's a, a, there's a middle ground between pessimism and, uh, and, and realism. And I think one of the messages of the film is that, uh, you know, success and, and progress in the area of human rights is not a straight line, that uh, there are victories uh, and there are setbacks. 
And one of the things I found fascinating about the story was something else I didn't know was that during the 1930s and 40s, uh, homosexuality was pretty much uh, accepted in this in this country. Uh, at least it wasn't as demonized as it uh, went on to be. And it was really in the 1950s that this wave of discrimination against gay people uh, developed, and it was to a large degree a backlash over those earlier times. And uh, there's there, there's no guarantee that that can't happen again. And I think we are living in uh, in, in times and you know during which we have to be vigilant um, on, on these issues. So you know, is it ever going to go back to where it was? Well, hopefully not. But uh, you know, we've made some real progress in the past couple of years, and we have to make sure that we don't uh, you know uh, slide back on on some of those issues. Boy, you're not kidding. So as you think about all the folks that are going to see this film, students, older folks, uh, what, what, what are the key points you want them to get? Well, I do think one of the key points is uh, just uh, that we, we do have to be careful about uh, protecting our, our you know, victories in the, in the gay community. But beyond that, I think there's, there is a broader message to the film. We, do, we have had a history in this country of... Uh, during times of concern over national security, um, of uh, demonizing a particular minority group. Uh, During the 1920s, during the Depression, a million Mexicans were deported because it was believed that they were responsible for the economic downturn. Uh, Japanese Americans were interred during uh, World War II. And then homosexuals were the uh, target during the McCarthy years. And, uh, you know, that kind of history repeats itself. And I think there's a real, you know, present day, uh, you know, relevance to the movie. Uh, you know, today it's a different president and a different fear about national security and different minority groups. But, um, uh, you know, un- unfortunately, history does repeat itself. So I think that's beyond the historical message and story of the Lavender Scare, which I think is important to tell. I do think there's a there's broader implication as well. I couldn't agree more. I think it's going to be more relevant today than ever before. Talk about some of the film festivals. Uh, you mentioned you've been to several. What are some of the ones that stand out for you and some of the experiences you've had? Well, we had a, a great screening uh, last week in uh, Miami. We were in uh, at the Newport Beach Film Festival, uh, uh, QFlix in uh, Philadelphia, uh, and we're particularly excited that uh, Frameline is coming up in, in San Francisco. As, as you know, it's the biggest uh, LGBT festival in, in the world, and um, we're, uh, we're really looking forward to it and uh, looking forward to being there. Well, and what day and what time are you going to be at the Frameline? Uh, June 18th at uh, 11 a.m., which is a Sunday. Uh, it's the first uh, screening, and that's at the uh, Castro Theater, and that's going to be exciting. And then uh, the following Saturday, 2.30 in the afternoon, at the Piedmont uh, uh, Cinema. So we have uh, those two screenings. And, uh, uh, of course, many, many to follow that, uh, which are all going to be listed on our website. But uh, really looking forward to Frameline and um, uh, visiting San Francisco with the film and getting the message out. Fantastic. So you'll be there on the 18th? I will be there on the 18th, as will uh, David Johnson, the author of the book. And uh, a couple of other members of the uh, production team will be there as well. 
Wow. What a fantastic opportunity. Sunday, June 18th at 11 a.m. at the Castro Theater. There's not a better place in the world to see a documentary like this. Well, that's great. Uh, that's great to hear, and we're really uh, excited about it. Great. So where can people go to learn more about the film and to follow you and your work? Uh, visit our website, which is thelavenderscare.com. It's updated frequently with uh, our screening schedule and other information. Uh, certainly looking forward to later in the year a DVD release and uh, uh, some streaming options. And all that will be uh, listed on, on the website, thelavenderscare.com. Great. And if you missed that website, we'll have it on our own website at outbeatnews.com. And we have two tickets to give away to that screening coming up on Sunday, June 18th at 11 a.m. at the Castro Theater. You can go and see the documentary, meet Josh Howard, and the author of the book, The Lavender Scare, David Johnson. We'll give two tickets away to caller number two. So give us a call right now at 707-584-2020. That's 707-584-2020, and win your opportunity to go see this amazing film. Well, we're very excited to to meet people in San Francisco, and uh, we're really looking forward to it. Awesome. Well, we've been talking with Josh Howard, who is the, the, the dreamer and the producer and the heart and soul behind The Lavender Scare. Thank you so much for taking on the project, for giving us a visual representation of this important history and for hopefully preventing history from repeating itself. Well, thank you, Greg, and thank you for all the support you've given the project over the, uh, over the many years it took us to, uh, to get this done, because, uh, well, we really appreciate it and uh, could not have been done without that, uh, that kind of support. You're broken down and tired Of living life on the merry-go-round And you can't find a fighter but I see it in you, so we gon' walk it out Move mountains We gon' walk it out and move mountains And I rise up, I rise like the day I rise up, I rise unafraid I rise up, and I Silence is quiet And it feels like it's getting hard to breathe And I know you feel like dying But I promise we'll take the world to its feet Move I won't dance Bring it to its feet
love that we have each other And that brings us to the end of our hour. Don't forget the Sonoma County Pride celebration happens next weekend. I'll be hosting the Rise Up Unity Rally on Saturday, June 3rd at 1 p.m. at the Guerneville Lodge. Come out and meet some of your favorite outbeat radio personalities. And you can get all the details about Pride using our link on our website at outbeatnews.com. I'll be back on the second week of June filling in on Outbeat Music. We'll be celebrating Pride with some of your favorite anthems from years past and some new music for this year's Pride. That's on Saturday, June 11th. And then be sure to join me after the San Francisco Pride Parade for Outbeat News in Depth. My special guests that night will include Prop 8 plaintiffs Chris Perry and Sandy Steer. They'll be talking about their new book, Love on Trial. That's at 8 p.m. on June 25th. Tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB FM Radio 91. In the meantime, have a great week and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. Podcasts of our shows are available for on-demand play from iTunes, Google Music, and TuneIn. Get links and sign up for email notifications when new shows become available on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all week long.